0: Great, great. Y'all are ready for exciting time? It sure it seems like the kids are, aren't they? They're pretty fired up. I think my wife got a lot of fun things for them to do today, so they should have a blast. But we're going to have a great time this morning as well. I have a fantastic uh, message from the Lord for you this morning. So I pray that you would open up your hearts. Uh, God is going to bless you. You're going to be changed in Jesus' name. I just declare that over you. And uh, we're going to just begin with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much that your loving kindness abide over us. Lord, I thank you that I have been called for such a time as this. I empty myself and I remove myself out of the way that you can speak to the hearts of your people. This is your word. And Father God, you said heaven and earth will pass away, but your word shall never pass away. It will remain forever. And so with that in mind, I stand as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, understanding that I have been called to be a servant, and your word is above all, and so have your way and prepare the hearts of the people as we prepare to minister this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 13. Uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 13. This morning, we're gonna, I'm going to talk to you about the subject of having a winning attitude. Having a winning attitude. Many of you have heard me. You know that I talk about golfing quite a bit. And uh, no doubt I happen to to appreciate the golf game of one Tiger Woods. How many of you got an opportunity to see the golf game, golf tournament last week? You got to see it, great. Well, for those of you who don't know, Tiger Woods had recently had knee surgery. He was out, I think, for about nine to ten months. Now, at that same course, almost a year ago, Tiger Woods was playing basically with a bad knee, and he had to sink this long putt in order to win the tournament. And so it was kind of like deja vu all over again. Now, I didn't get to see it because I just come from uh, the Hubbard's house. We had our story, and, I, and my brothers, and I knew it was something quite exciting because my brothers texted me, both my brothers. Now, mind you, my brother, I have one brother that lives over in Buffalo, New York. Uh, I have another brother that lives in Arlington, Texas. Now, they had not been communicating with each other, but when Tigers sunk their putt, both of them texted me at the exact same time. One said, Tiger wins. The other one said, unbelievable. So I knew, I said, he must have done something absolutely incredible. So I was able to go back home. I was able to kind of, you know, look at the highlights. It's never the same when you see the highlights. It's all, you know, being alive is much more enjoyable. But Tiger had reconstructive knee surgery. Now, I've never had any kind of knee surgery, but anybody that I know of that ever had that kind of surgery, it takes a while for them to bounce back from that uh in fact a lot of times never the knee is never exactly the same way that it was before the surgery when it was completely healthy and so when they have to reconstruct your knee that means that basically they start from scratch and they reconstruct this thing all over again so it takes quite a while for people to bounce back and so you know tiger played this was his third tournament since coming back and um, and so a couple of weeks ago when he first came back one of the commentators said to tiger woods he said um because everybody was saying, oh, well, you know, you can expect that uh, Tiger's gonna make a little progress along the way. Um, he's really not, I mean, you can't expect him to win this year because he's just gonna work on his driving, he's gonna work on his putting, and and finally, perhaps by the end of the year, next year, then he'll be back to a normal Tiger. So the commentator comes to Tiger, he says to Tiger, he says, um, so um, Tiger, you know, he, keep in mind, he's thinking." Just what everybody was saying, that Tiger's going to make a little progress along the way. He goes, Tiger, he says, "Uh, what is your expectation this year? And I mean, what, what are you trying to accomplish? And Tiger looks at the commentator, and a fantastic answer. It was vintage Tiger. Tiger said, I expect to win the tournament. He says, in fact, every tournament that I play in, I expect to win. Now, and the commentator kind of, you know, jumped back a little bit. Because Tiger has always said that. Even before the knee had a problem, Tiger's attitude was always, I expect to win. So every time that man gets on the golf course, he believes, now this is important, this is important, he believes that he is the best man who had the best golf game on the course and that he expects to win. Even though he just had reconstructive knee surgery, Tiger said, I expect to win the tournament. Now, they do it, they, and they, meaning those who don't know Christ, those who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they do it for a perishable reward. But we do it for an imperishable reward. When we talk about this attitude of, a, of having a, a winning attitude, people who don't even know God tend to fare better When you have an attitude that says that somehow I am always going to come out on top. People that have a winning attitude, they expect that they're going to have bumps in the road. They expect that they're going to have setbacks. But it's something about a person with a winning attitude. You ever meet them? You know, it's it's quite exciting to be around people like that. It's like no matter what happens. They just always have this something about them that's just contagious. It's something about them that just kind of says that, 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 you know what, I am a winner. And their attitude suggests such a thing. How many of you believe that we as Christians, we ought to have every reason to think of ourselves as winners? There are a lot of Christians today who love God. Mind you, they, they love God, love Jesus Christ but they have a defeated mindset. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to accomplish this. I don't know if God really, really loves me because I don't really love myself. Oh, I don't know. I hope that things turn out well for me, but I really, really don't know if they are. And something about that, I mean, you would agree that is very, very unattractive. Because at best, they're they're pessimistic. There's no optimism, there's there's no expectation that I'm going to win. Now the interesting thing, here's why we should think of ourselves as winners, because Jesus says that in this world you will have trouble but be a good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome. He said now, if I have overcome the world, then you have overcome as well. So all of us are overcomers. You know, whenever I send out my emails or word from a day, I always say this, Remember that you are a winner and live like it because the fact is that if you're in Christ, you are a winner, but you can be in Christ and not experience God's best for your life because you're so full of doubt and unbelief. You don't have a winner's mindset. See the Bible. I like the scripture that says that that the righteous fall seven times, but they get right back up. They don't stay there. It's something about getting back in the fight. I I think about David, how when he had his misstep along the way, he got back in the fight. Think about the the Apostle Paul, that a man who was beaten, shipwrecked. He said a couple of times he was left half dead, and. Here he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in jail. hes I mean, God, you called me to preach the gospel. You called me to go and minister. God, why am I sitting here in this dirty, dingy jail? I could be much more effective out there preaching. But here the apostle Paul, in the book of Philippians, he's saying, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. What did he have? He had a great attitude. Apostle Paul said, you know what? He said, he said, he said we're persecuted. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Yes, things are challenging, obstacles are there, but, but, but I know that I am going to come out on top because I've already been given the victory. See, one of the beautiful things about, about the church is that we can look at the book and it declares us as winners. We're winners. So we don't need to walk around with our head hung down. How I many you know that? Every time you see a believer, somebody who confessed Christ, and you see them walking down with their head, with their head hanging up, tell them to pick their heads up. You got every reason to think like a winner. Because in fact you are, but we need to. How I many we need to embrace what Jesus has done for us? We need to embrace it by faith. <laughs> in the book of Numbers, chapter number thirteen, it's a very, very interesting story. Caleb and Joshua, the children of Israel, had just been delivered out of their the land of bondage. Out of Egypt, God had done some miraculous miracles, and now they're about to enter into their land of promise. God had always promised the children of Israel, I'm going to give you a land of milk and honey. A land of milk and honey is just simply a great way of saying a place of blessing, a place of abundance, a place of more than enough. And so before they go into their land of promise, Moses decided he's going to do some CIA stuff. If Sean would hear, he could really appreciate that. Moses said, I'm going to send 12 spies over into the land of Canaan. And what I want you to do, I want you to get some intelligence about what's going on over there. I want you to spy out the land because we're about to go into the land and we're going to possess what God has for us. And so Moses sent these 12 spies to go and spy out the land. So all of them come back and we'll pick it up in Numbers chapter 13 Verse 25, and they turned from spying out the land after 40 days. This is verse 25. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron. Now I want you to watch this. And all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us, and it truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, nevertheless is another way of saying but. So he's about to cancel out everything he just said. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Amnak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him, Watch this, said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. The land which they had spied out, and here's what they said, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. (laughs) There we saw the giants, the descendants of Amnak came from the giants. And we were like, watch this. Grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, this is this is great. I mean, there's there's so many nuggets of truth. But look at it from this perspective: God is sending them to a land of blessing. Now, how many know God wants what's best for us? I hear people every now and then say to me, God wants us to just be poor and broke and have nothing. I look at them and I laugh. I say, what Bible are you reading? God had always wanted what was best for his children. He said, listen, I'm not going to just give you a land. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. Jesus said it this way, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. That means to the full, overflowing. God is not a God that wants you to to live in misery. God wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to have good things. He just don't want the things to have you. Hallelujah. And so God says, look, I'm taking you into a land. And so when they go to the spies, go to the land, they see it. They see the promise that God made to them, and they say, wow, look at this. Wow, it's everything that God said. But look at the fruit. I mean, everything. This place is green all over the place. Water flowing. Everything is fertile and green and beautiful. But look at all those giants. Uh, Look at it. I mean, look at how strong those people look. You see. And so they they come back, give Moses a report. (laughs) And as you read here, In in chapter 13, we just read it, verse number 30, here the spies are saying, they said to Moses, Moses, Now, I want you to imagine this because there's an audience. Because remember, they sent the spies for 40 days. So 40 days, they've been waiting to get word on how the land looks. What's the land like? They all come back, and all the people are standing right there, and they they are listening. What what, what is it like? The spy says, now the 12 spies, the spy says, oh Moses, it's exactly what you said it was. It's a blessed place. But here's the problem, Moses. Uh, <laughs> there's some giants in the land. <laughs> in fact, we saw those boys from Amnak. Those are some big, strong guys. Those are giant. In fact, there were multitudes of people. There were the Jebusites, and there was the Hittites, and, and all of the, the Amorites, and all of these rites, and all of these people. And, 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 and you know, and it, they were, it was just a lot. Now you can see that something is shifting because they're stating the fact that the land is a great land. But then you can see the doubt and unbelief start to creep in. Because the Bible says in verse number 30, it says Caleb quieted the people. Now, why did Caleb quiet the people? Because Caleb was a person of faith. Caleb could discern the doubt and the unbelief that the 10 spies, because it was 10, it was 12. Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit, the scripture says. But Caleb could discern all the doubt and the unbelief that the other spies were communicating to the people. And so the Bible says that Caleb quieted the people. I like to say in our language, Caleb basically said, shut up, stop, because at this point, everybody is starting to get a little bit concerned because this, this, I mean, God had brought us out of Egypt. I mean, he parted the Red Sea. He did miracle after miracle after miracle. But then all of a sudden, now they're about to enter the land of promise, and they get a word from the ten spies that says, I don't think we can do this. I, I really don't think that we can pull this thing off. Caleb, have me know the people of faith. When you're a person of faith, you can discern people that walk in doubt and unbelief. You can smell it. When you're a person that believes God, when you're a person that trusts God, you can tell people who are always telling you what you can't do. You can't pull this off. You, you're not really qualified. I mean, I know that's your dream. I know that's your vision. I know you think that's a God thing, but the reality is I mean, look at this. What was Caleb's response? Caleb said, We should by all means go up and take it. Let's go. Caleb wouldn't even allow himself to hear the voices. I mean, notice sometimes you just got to drown out the voices of doubt in your life. You just got to just don't listen to them. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So the more you listen and you you listen to negative stuff, how many know you develop a faith for it if you're not careful? That's why Jesus said, be careful what you hear. Be careful what you listen to. I tell my kids all the time, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Don't be listening to the negative voices that are in your life. And Caleb said, look, I'm not even going to buy that. He said, look, shut up. Everybody, be quiet. We shall go up and take possession because God had gave it to us. God said it's ours, and if God says it's mine, then I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care about the obstacles, but this is what God has put in my heart. This is what I know that God has called me to do. So you know what? I'm going to go take it. Are you coming with me? Ah, oh, it's a man of faith. See, Caleb had a, a, a different spirit. In Matthew chapter number 13, I'm not going to have you turn there for time's sake. But Jesus comes in his hometown. He's in Nazareth. And the Bible says that when he got to Nazareth, all the people that he grew up with, they looked at him. They says, um, Jesus come there talking about he's the son of God, and he came to save, to save the world from their sins. And all these homies are like, isn't this Mary's son? Uh, Mary's boy, I mean, isn't his brothers and sisters? I mean, I grew up with him. And the scripture says, and this is, this is amazing, look at it in your spare time. The scripture says that Jesus could not do many mighty work there. Because the Bible said he did a few work. He healed a few folks. He did a few things. But he could not do any mighty work there. You know why? Because the people didn't believe God. So you talk about pleasing God. You know what really pleases God mostly? We talk about, oh, how I many of you have ever prayed that prayer? God, I just want to please you. God, I want to please you. Pleasing God is simply this. Believe on him. They said to Jesus, What must we do to work the work of God? Jesus says, Believe on him who sent me and believe in his work. Believe, believe, believe. The Bible says, Abraham what? Believed. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. So it's something about saying, I believe in God and what God is saying. That will get God's attention quicker than anything else. So here you got. Joshua and Caleb. Their attitude is totally different from the other ten spies. Now, when the ten spies saw it, saw the, the land, they saw the giants. That's what they saw. They saw giants. You know what they saw? They thought uh, they're going to defeat us. We can't. We can't. We can't do that. They're too big. In fact, the cities are too fortified. I mean, in fact, they got so many people there, we can't even match up with all of these people. I mean. Ain't no way that we can pull this off. But, but 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 was it not that they were there when he parted the Red Sea? Did he not see all the plagues and the miracles? Did they not see all? What, what happened to all of that? It's the same God that promised him and said, I'm going to give you a land of milk and honey. It was the same God that delivered him out of Egypt. You may say, well, I would never not believe God. I mean, no, we're like that sometimes. God do things in our life, done things in our past, and we sometimes just forget and say, "I don't think I can." I don't think I can do this. Well, isn't that God, the same God that called you in the first place, who's been with you thus far? Why would God put something burst thumping down on the inside of you and bring you to the point where you cannot deliver? That is not the spirit of our God. And so, here's what. Joshua and Caleb saw, they saw, wow, that's where I'm going to put my house. Oh, that's where my kids are going to be playing. That's where we're going to build our nice golf course, modernize it a little bit, make it, you know? That's where we, I mean, th- this, this is going to be a great place. When they saw it, they, they looked at the same thing. But what was the difference between the two? An attitude. The negative attitude said, it's nice, but God don't, I, I, I don't think I can, I can it's not. you know, I can remember when I first got my house, I grew up in the country. And uh, so I grew up in a, I lived in a trailer. A trailer, my bedroom was probably about, my bedroom was probably a little bit bigger than this stage. You know, I didn't have this very, very small trailer. And I remember when I first came to my neighborhood. You know, and I grew up a humble means, didn't expect a whole bunch. I grew up in church, but you know, you got to grow in faith. Got to grow in faith. And I remember moving to my neighborhood and I saw that house. And I, the first thing I said, God, can I really? I mean, you want me to, to have this? I mean, God, I mean, me? And I began to look at all my neighbors and like, I mean, <laughs> whoa, God. And God was saying to me, I'm the saying, God that brought you this far. And I'm the saying, God that's going to put you here. And greater things are going to happen in your life. You, you saw this, Gary, and you marveled. There's something greater that's going to happen in your life. Just why it's good to remember what God has brought you from. Because in, in the body of Christ, there's always, when we're walking with God, there's always going. We always should be moving from glory to glory. There's progress along the way in God so Caleb and Joshua, they see it, and they say, wow, oh, my goodness, this is, this is going to be great. But the ten spies, they were completely had a different attitude and a different spirit. And here's an interesting thing that they said. Now, I want you to hear me when I, when, when I quote this. But they said, listen to this. He says, there we saw the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. I call that the grasshopper mentality. What is a grasshopper mentality? See, the Bible says it this way. Let me put it to you this way. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, as a man think in his heart, so is he. He says, now, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. I mean, we were small. We were just itty-bitty people who could not match up. See, if you think of yourself, see, one of the, one of the things that if you want to know how other people think of you, if you really want to know, if you care to know at all, some people just <laughs> say, I don't care what you think about me. That's a good thing, too, because you're confident in who you are. But if you ever really want to just kind of say, well, I wonder how is it that people view me? I have a question. How, how, how do you view yourself? How do you view you? Because if you look at yourself as being small and insignificant and lacking confidence, it's going to come out. People are going to pick up on it. and How many know that the sons of Amnak and the Jebusites and the, and the Amorites and all of those folks, they're going to pick up on that and they're going to say, you know what, these people have no confidence that they can pull this thing off. You see, they were like grasshoppers in their own sight. But see, Joshua and Caleb their attitude was, first of all, it don't have anything to do with my power. You see, God is the one that called me in the first place. And whatever God puts in my heart to do, God is able to do it through me. You see, in New Testament language, it goes something like this. He who has began a good work in you, he will complete it. Paul said it this way, I strive according to his power that works mightily in me. Book of Thessalonians says, Paul says, look, faithful is he that calls you and God will do it. So it's not, here's what Caleb and Joshua thought. They said, well, wait a minute. This ain't nothing about my power. This is not about me. God called us here. And so the reason why I know that we're going to get the victory because God is with us. Watch what he says here. He, he says in, in chapter 14, I'll just read it, in verse number 9. He says, now only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. This is Caleb and Joshua speaking. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. Here's the thing I want, and always tell God this. I said, God, if I know that you're with me. I'll do whatever it is you're calling me to do, because if God is with me, he will empower me to do whatever it is that he called me to do. I don't have to worry about it. I just want to know, God, are you with me? Caleb and Joshua said, you know why they said that we are going to defeat these giants? It wasn't because they knew that they were somebody that were spectacular, because they had a perspective that God is the one that's going to do this. God is the one that's going to give them the victory. God is the one that's going to be behind them. They understood that and their faith and their confidence within God. They had a winning attitude because they had a winning God. And their God is big and strong. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He has never lost a battle. Come on somebody. God has never ever lost a battle and he never will. For the Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and everything that dwells therein. It all belongs to him. He is the king of glory. How many know that we got omnipotence living down on the inside of us? There is no reason why that you and I should be walking around with our head hung down talking about, oh, woe is me. Oh, yes, woe is you. Come up out of there. That's not where you belong. You have been set apart for great things. You got a great God that lives on the inside of you, and you are a winner. Act like it. Walk like it. Talk like it. Because some of you know there's something contagious about a winning attitude. How I many you just love to be around winners? How I many you love to be around people that just want to have pity parties all the time? I hate that. I mean, I, I just, I, you know, have you ever been in that environment? I mean, I'll just get up and leave. Got to go. Because I don't want that all over me. I don't. I can do bad all by myself. Encourage me. I don't want to hear all the negative stuff about what can't happen. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Y'all don't know I don't have no time for that. I mean, I got this one. Bless my heart. This one lady at work. Every time I see her, I I, start, I, I, I hate to say this. Listen, now, nobody here has done this. I don't feel this way about anybody here. But every time I see this woman, I le I run. Because every time she sees me, it's like it's a 20-minute conversation. And it's all about, whoa is me. I don't know what I'm gonna make, oh, this thing is just hard. Oh, I just got so the weight of the world, it's killing me. I'm like, get away. And I'm just standing there like, oh God. And and I got to a point, it's like, I just want to get away. I just can't take it. Because everything is just so negative. But she'll go to church and she'll raise her hand and praise God. You see, you can, you can be saved and going to heaven but be miserable while you're going there. I am not going to be miserable while en route to heaven. I'm going to be excited and joyful now. I'm not going to wait till I get there to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice right here and right now. Because why? I've got every reason to. I've I'm I'm already won. I've already won. You see, so here's what the 10 spies did. Watch this. So the 10 spies, they spread this thing, this doubt and unbelief. The people hear it. Watch this. Now this is, this is a sad scene. You remember I just talked about the pity party? Listen to this. Watch this. In chapter 14. <laughs> I mean, it's almost sad to read it. Because, mind you, nothing had changed. No shots had been fired. They had not engaged the enemy yet. And watch in chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation, just just hearing this word, all the congregation lift up their voices and cried. What did they do? Cried. And the people wept that night. Watch this. It gets better. We don't stop there. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims would it not be better for us to return to Egypt then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel And look, look at this Look at this sad sad scene. Now, nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. Why are you crying? What are you crying? The Bible said they cried that night. That means... They were doing some all night long. Oh, God, we ain't going to make it. The enemy is going to kill us. Oh, God, you brought us way out here. Oh, God, you're going to, we just shouldn't, we're going to die. Our kids are going to die. God, why did you just leave us in Egypt? (laughs) you going to just be terrible? Oh, my God. (laughs) All because of the ten spies who simply said, we can't do it. You see how this doubt and unbelief spread? They start, first of all, 10 spies would have been fine. That's why Caleb had to tell them, shut up. That's why you got to shut up the voices of doubt in your life. Remember, I told you, God called you to do something, God put something in your spirit. Connect with people that's going to encourage you in what God has called you to do. Listen, just drown out the voices because let me tell you something the spirit of unbelief will spread like wildfire. So now, the whole country, not. Listen. It didn't say a portion of the congregation. It didn't say some of them. Said the whole congregation beginning to cry and weep. Look at that doubt and that unbelief. Look at that. Look. Look what this thing had caused. The whole congregation crying and weeping. In Mark chapter five, and again, don't turn it. I just want to paraphrase. You remember Mark chapter five? Jesus was going to heal a twelve-year-old girl, and so. This guy said, Jesus, can you come over and heal? The girl was dead. Jesus, get there. And everybody just, you know, crying. It's a difficult time. Somebody died. Somebody I love. 12-year-old person died. And Jesus said, the girl is not dead. The girl, is she, she's really asleep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a great work here. And all the people there, watch this. All the people there just started ridiculing Jesus, saying, you're out of your mind, I mean, what's wrong with you? What are you talking about? We are looking. She's dead. It's over. Nothing can happen. And Jesus said, "Uh, uh, 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 uh." watch. Here's what I'm going to do. And here's the first thing he did. There was a bunch of people there moaning and crying over this girl, right? Rightly so. 12-year-old girl. It's a tragedy. Jesus said, everybody, get out. He put them all out. The only ones that stayed in there was the parent and a couple of his disciples, everybody else. He said, out. Now, why did he put them all out? I mean, I mean, I mean, come, I mean you know, can I just, I just want to watch. You know, we have people like that sometimes in church, you know, people just kind of say, I want to see what's going to happen. <laughs> Ain't no faith to believe that God can turn the situation around. I don't want to see what's going to happen. But then what Jesus said, everybody, get out. He raised the girl from the dead. But here's what had to happen. There had to be an atmosphere of faith in order for God to do what he needed to do. See, there got to be an atmosphere. If you are believing God for something, there got to be an atmosphere of faith, that God is with you and everything. there got to be. If you don't start there, you might as well not start. See, the children of Israel, was, was God had called them to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, mind you, here's what happened. God saw what they were doing. He saw all the doubt and unbelief. God said to them, God got a little bit impatient. God said, now look. He said, how long? you can read it for yourself. He said, how long do I have to keep putting up with these people? These 10 times, they keep on doubting me. How long have I performed all these miracles? And God said that to us sometimes. How long have I done all of what I've done for them? Why is it that these people, why will they not believe me? How much, I mean, what else do I got to do for these people to see that I can pull this thing off, that I am a mighty God, and I can do anything? What else do I got to do to show these people? (laughs) God said to Moses, he said, here's what I'm going to do. God says, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. Because all of them, now mind you, they're all sitting there crying, wailing. Jesus says, God says, I'm going to wipe them all out, Moses. I'm going to start anew. I'm going to start with a whole nother people. Because I just cannot. I cannot for what I want to do in my people. And the promise I made Abraham, I cannot do with these folks. It wasn't because they weren't, they weren't great folks. It wasn't because of their gifts and their talents. It was because of one thing. He says, them folks ain't going to believe me. Because the minute that they see the enemy face to face, the minute that I tell them to go in and possess their land of promise, that I promised them, you know what they're going to do? They're going, they, they're, going to, they're going to fall dead. They're not going to do it because they have no faith. And here's what God said. God says, now, for 40 years, he said, all of this generation, the ones who don't believe me, they're going to die in the wilderness. Now, was it that God was up there saying, I'm going to kill? No. God said, I'm just going to let you just die off. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, now, the, the, your children, the one that you said will be victims, they're going to go into the land of promise. But all the folks around here that will not believe me, I cannot, they will not, I swear, God said, they will not enter the land of promise. Why didn't they go in? See, one of the things about, I've learned about God, and we all like to feel sorry for ourselves sometimes, right? Now, let me say this to you. Now, hear me in the right spirit. God will sympathize with you because God is the God of all comfort. God understands when we go through a difficult time and, you know, every now and then you, you're tempted to flirt with feeling sorry for yourself. But here's what I learned about God. You can feel sorry for yourself all day long. But until you get up in faith and say, okay, God, I'm going to believe you. This is over. I'm, it's time to move on. You'll stay right where you are. You'll say, right where you are. He told children in Israel. Now, a lot of them, if you go read the story, a lot of them say, oh, God, we're, we're sorry, Jesus. God said, no, 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 no. I, I, cannot, I cannot do it with you because you won't believe me. At some point we got to have faith enough to say, you know what, God? I'm going to believe your word and I'm going to go and do this thing. I'm going to move in faith. I, I'm not going to say, listen, I'm gonna have, my attitude is going to change. I'm going to believe that I am going to get the victory through. Now, now watch this. L- listen to this. Listen to this. Caleb, I want to read this verse to you, and we're 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 closing this thing down. But but what Caleb says, "He's listen." What God says about Caleb and Joshua. <laughs> this is this is something else. He says now, starting in verse number twenty-one of uh, chapter fourteen, he says, uh, "But the Lord says, as I truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the sign which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness." And have put me to the test these ten times. They have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore. God wants to bless us. But God said because you won't believe me. Because you don't trust me. Because you don't have an attitude of faith. Then nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb. Watch this. Because he has a different spirit. (laughs) Glory to God. He has a different spirit in him. He has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Jump on down to verse number 30. He says, except for Caleb, the son of Jethinah, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the lands which I, sw- which, uh, which I swore I would make you dwell in. In other words, here's what God said to them. God says, Joshua and Caleb, they were the only ones out of the whole generation who went. The there were 10 spies, 12 spies. 10 of them, they died of a plague. The rest of the congregation, God says, for 40 years, I'm going to let y'all die off until I get some people here who want to believe me. So here's where, we gotta, here's where we are. We got to learn. We got to come to a place where we say, God, I believe you. God I, God, I believe that no matter what the obstacles are, I know there are giants in the land. I'm not going to deny reality. You know, you, you used to have the faith movement. People used to say, uh, you know, they'd be sick of the dog puking and throwing up. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not, I'm, you're sick. I can see that you're sick because you're puking. But you believe that your God is going to heal you. See, there's something we don't deny reality. Yes, there are giants in the land. I'm looking. I see the same thing you do, but my attitude is different. I, I am going to win this thing. We're going we're to we're defeat this thing. We're going to come over to the other side. Joshua and Caleb, you two, you're the only ones. They, wait, they got into the land of promise. Everybody else didn't make it. They didn't make it. Was it because God was mad? Was it because God was showing favoritism? No. Because two had a great attitude. And Here's what they said. We're going to win this thing. Their protection has been removed. God has given us the victory. We're going on into what God has for us. Amen. And so they were awarded the promise. So, so what is a winning attitude? Here's a winning attitude right here. One who believes that all things are possible with God. The second thing one who realizes that you have already overcome, and if there's no reason for you, I don't know what else there is that God can do that can show us that He can communicate to us the fact that we should act like winners because that's what we are. Caleb and Joshua had a great attitude. The Apostle Paul had a great attitude. As I think, Jehoshaphat. There's a whole other thing. I'm not going to get into that. But he had a great attitude because he was about to go into war. People were coming up against him. He assembled the bands and the musician. And everybody praised and they sang and the whole atmosphere changed and it was full of faith and God moved. God moves when there is a people that will believe him. God moves. He, here's what you got to ask God. Now some of you God to put things in your heart. He said for you to do something. You you just, you're just thinking about all the things that you cannot do. Oh I can't because you just refuse to believe your God. God is saying this morning Here's what I want you to do. Believe me. Yes, you're going to have some obstacles, but I want you to have a great attitude. A winning attitude says that no matter what comes my way, I am always going to end up on top. Watch this, and I'm going to close with this. A winning attitude never quits. It just readjusts. It never quits. You may have gone through a pathway, and you might have thought, well, this is not the particular pathway that God wanted me to take, but I'm just going to readjust. Winning an attitude never quit, it just readjusts. Amen? Let's pray.